Hello, I'm Anthony Sana. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 46, LDN, obesity, aging, and autoimmunity. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio for another uh, fact-filled, fun-filled episode of health-related information. Uh, I'm Anthony Sana in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? Pretty good. How are you? Good to good. Uh, once we get all our technology ironed out, it'll be really much, much better. Uh, we're here in studio today recording episode 46, uh, hot on the heels of our uh, Q&A podcast. Uh, we did one last week, which was another technical <laughs> extravaganza, <laughs> to say the least. And um, uh, we had a lot of fun, well, at least I did anyways. That yeah, was a really good uh, initial experience, I think, just because we got to, you know, do some live questions and realize we had a couple of um, what you would call them uh, technical misunderstandings, something like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, I think a, a valuable uh, investment of time for everybody who was on the show or who wants to listen to it later. We got into some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And, uh, as we go forward, uh, one of the things that uh, Michael and I are keen to do is, uh, work out our technology, um, issues. And, um, it seems like every time we decide to do something new and exciting, a whole bunch of can of worms get opened up, <laughs> which is why the whole video thing here is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, we do have a video version of it that is available. You can actually see what Michael and I look like, our yep. charming selves, <laughs> and see that I got all dressed up for today's podcast <laughs> with my favorite green hoodie. Um, today's podcast is, uh, I think, something that, uh, Michael, you have mentioned lately, things that you wanted to sort of get into or focus more, more on in the future. Well, the future is now. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the title of the podcast and what you can expect today. So LDN, or low-dose naltrexone, is a very unique application of a drug that sort of went off patent, I think, back in the 80s, which means it's no longer considered the darling of its class of drugs, and there's new ones. So the big companies just sort of leave it as what they call off-patent, which means a lot of companies that make uh, off-brand pharmaceuticals will jump on that stuff right away. And because of its effect, which we'll get into, it has a profound benefit in a really subtle way for people, especially with inflammatory autoimmune conditions. Uh, obviously, that's going to impact just general aging. And for a whole bunch of real subtle reasons, it can actually help uh, people speed up uh, a weight loss or a fat loss program. Um, although I would always discuss it in kind of that order, which is, oh, yeah, it's really important for people with complex autoimmune diseases, even cancer. But it can help people with sort of the, the more general cosmetic and, you know, I want to be healthy until I'm 90 kind of thing. Hmm. So um, the idea of what LDN is uh, and how it works and that sort of stuff, um, certainly we're going to get into that today, but um, what it, what inspired you to actually want to make this the topic of today's podcast? Uh, I guess a few things. One is uh, I have a YouTube channel and the LDN video I did a couple of years ago has 12,000 or something views. So it seems that there's a lot of people out there in the social media world who really want to try and understand the mechanisms of that medication uh, as much as possible. Because again, it's just one of these little weird things that 
And I feel kind of funny saying, oh yeah, there's this pharmaceutical drug I'm really, really big on promoting. And you know, people's eyes kind of cross and <laughs> smoke comes out of their ears or something because I'm supposed to be the natural medicine guy. But uh, I've used this medication myself uh, in the past and I plan on using it again. It's a really, really unique uh, opportunity. And what it does at such a low dose is so non-pharmaceutically uh, harmful that it's, you know... I mean, it's kind of a tongue in cheek, but I think in a lot of big cities, it would be a good idea to just put this in the water supply. <laughs> you replacing fluoride. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, replacing fluoride is actually somebody else's podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, we could do a, a couple on what those chemicals are really doing to people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so chemical, is LDN actually um, a prescriptive drug or is it naturally sourced? You still need a prescription in most parts of the world, uh, in some provinces and states, uh, in the sense of Canada and the U.S. Uh, you can get it as well through a naturopath. It just depends on licensing. Um, what's interesting, though, is if you are interested uh, in moving ahead with this, uh, and maybe we can make a note to put a link to this in the show notes, uh, but a lot of patients who go in to see their GP, uh, their medical doctor, usually have to go in with a five or six page printout of what LDN is, why it works, how it works on autoimmune diseases, why you're not in a, um, I don't know, you're not a snake oil, snake oil salesman as a medical doctor for prescribing something that's relatively woo-woo, right? Because that's, that's where a lot of patients walk in. They're like, hey doc, I was on YouTube the other day and I saw this, you know, Michael Smith guy talk about lodosinaltrexone and give me my, you know, favorite drug. And most doctors, they have no idea that it's usable that way because it's off patent. It's not something that's taught. It's mm -hmm. not something that's even encouraged because they have way more interesting, expensive toys to play with now. Not to be all bitter about that, but so again, uh, your average experience of going into a medical doctor and say, I'm really curious about low-dose naltrexone is for them to go, are you a heroin addict? I don't think we've had that conversation. Huh. Interesting. Uh, and so uh, part of my question there, um, this is still sticking in my mind. Um, and maybe this speaks to my ignorance around what the difference between how drugs get made or where they come from, but is this actually something that comes from a plant or is it actually something that comes out of a beaker, a test tube somewhere? <laughs> Does that even matter? Uh, well, my sense of humor and imagination are having a lot of fun with the images I've seen on social media with unicorns pooping in ice cream cups. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's and actually... For the, for the sake of our listeners, that actually is a thing. It's a thing. You can Google. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about you should probably be squatting to poop. The but squatty anyway, potty, that's what it is. Not to get too far afield. This episode of Fusion Health Radio is sponsored by... <laughs> squatting <laughs> unicorns with rainbow poo. Anyway... Back to the show. So, so low-dose naltrexone or LDN is in the class of drugs that are used um, to primarily block opiate receptors. So the one that most people are aware of nowadays is called naloxone. You, you know, most businesses in, in uh, you know, major cities, uh, if they have a lot of traffic, they have someone trained to give a naloxone shot if someone has like a fentanyl overdose because we're at that crisis point with all this chemical uh, no interference in the world. So it's just important to make the distinction that uh, naloxone, if you were to take that, it would stop you from basically overdosing on something like heroin or fentanyl because it blocks opiate receptors in a huge hurry. So naltrexone is in the same class of drugs and it's usually used at about a 50 milligram dose, right? So if you're in, in the hospital and you need a naloxone shot because you're going to die, that's a very, very concentrated 
part of this class of drugs. If you're in the hospital and you're, you know, alcoholic or you're a drug addict and you clearly in the hospital should not be taking poisonous substances, well, or poisonous substances, uh, they'll give you the low-dose naltrexone so that you can't get high uh, and you lose your cravings. Hmm. Right, but again, that's at 50 milligrams. A lot of people who become uh, addicted biochemically to, say, alcohol or heroin and, and a lot of other things, even sugar, uh, in a different way, what they end up doing is they end up taking uh, naltrexone, again, at about 50 milligrams every day when they get home. And it's like a sobriety commitment. Because if you come home and take that, uh, the, just a naltrexone, for the next four to six hours, you know, you could drink a, a Mickey or whatever your poison is. And uh, you wouldn't feel it, which for most people who are spending, you know, whatever money they are on their inebriant of choice, after a couple of days of spending all that money and, you know, going through your ritual of drinking or, you know, you're shooting up heroin or whatever and getting no tangible psychoactive benefit from it, most people just, you know, hit the no fair kind of space in themselves, but at the same time realize, well, I, I kind of did this on purpose and I need to quit. And now, because I, I can't get any satisfaction from my way of feeling satisfaction, I guess I'll have to start looking for something else. It, it almost, would you say that it almost um, takes the shine off of something? Like it actually makes it less attractive to actually get high or drunk? There's there's nothing. All, oh, all wow. you, you're, you're just like, well, I'm it's like the op, It's the off switch. It's the off switch for inebriation in, well, in those classes of inebriants. Yeah. And so, so again, those classes, uh, alcohol and... Yeah, anything that's an endorphin-driven high... So uh, like heroin, alcohol, you know, obviously all the opiates. That's incredible. Yeah. So when you're looking at low-dose naltrexone, um, you're taking like between one, maybe even less than one milligram, uh, up to maybe four, four and a half. And in sort of the last 20 years of using naltrexone uh, in this way, for whatever reason, the standard is to start at one and creep your way up to 4.5 uh, you know, gradually, but with uh, sort of the intention of getting to 4.5 at some point, because that's considered to be still low dose, but maximum medical benefit. Now, that's, I think, just based on the pharmaceutical predisposition, you know, to get people to maximum therapeutic dose as soon as it, you know, makes sense for that, that patient to do so. But that's based on a perspective that the drug is doing something. So just as you can get as, as long as you can get as much of the drug in there as you can, you're getting whatever imagined you know drug-driven benefit. And you know I, I think obviously that's true in you know probably ninety-five percent of, of pharmaceuticals. But in my experience clinically, and my experience subjectively as, as a person who's used this medication, uh, I would say it's way way smarter and. Uh, and I'm going to have to unpack a few parts to this, I think, but I think it's way more personally empowering and uh, subjectively kind of forcing you to be present by staying on the lower doses. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One is obviously if you're taking a medication that's meant to help you uh, cease your relationship with addictive substances, then that should be a mindfulness practice, not I take as much of it as I can and grip my fists and bite my fingers and hope that the magic drugs makes my misbehaviors go away, right? And that's that's just me speaking to this idea of dose, response, control, you know, use drug to control inner world thing. Whereas if you're using LDN, you're usually not using it for addiction because the dose is so low. You're using, you're usually using it for more of an inflammatory autoimmune thing, but that psychology is still in place. And, uh, and, and so, sorry, let me stop you there. So if, if someone were to 
uh, take this with the intention of actually uh, mitigating their um, attraction, if you will, to uh, opiates or alcohol. Um, is there any kind of uh, appreciation from the mainstream medical community that this actually does that? that well, the, yeah, that, that's what it's actually for in mainstream medicine. It's just now being used by crazy people like me for autoimmune and inflammatory conditions that may in the past have had something to do with the misuse of substances, but they're completely different protocols with respect to completely different situations medically. Right, but and more to, the, more to my... Uh, let me expand on that idea. Um, if that's how they're prescribing it, are they also aware of the... Um, I guess the emotional or the, 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 the sort of, of personal kind of um, catharsis that somebody might go through when you actually put the brakes on something so um, impactful as being an alcoholic? Like, um, I, I think some clinicians definitely are appreciative and want people to resource in that. You know, like, okay, Bob, really good job. You know, you've, you've been on your, uh, you know, your naltrexone for a, a month now and you're sober and that's great. And I can, you know, see the little lights coming back on in, 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 in your eyes that, <clears throat> you know, you're kind of like finally you again. And, you know, that's going to be more like a psychologist than your doctor. But there are doctors out there who actually give a crap and have the time to actually meet you as a person. But most of them at, at that point, and I'm being just honest, knowing a lot of clinicians, if they're going to prescribe for you something like naltrexone for addiction control, they've already basically put you in the back of the bus with all those kids that are just from the low rent side of town, hmm. you know, in the sense of, oh, well, another one bites the dust. Because, I mean, they're dealing with, you know, I don't know how many hundred or a thousand people that they see in a year, but I think they're just, mainstream clinicians are just taught to be a little bit more at a distance from people just because they have to deal with some really big decisions. I mean, medical doctors have a playbook that can decide whether or not you get welfare, whether or not you get medical disability, whether or not you're going to be, uh, you know, basically put in uh, a mental institution. So they, 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 I think they have to deal with just so much more kind of power and decision-making in people's lives that they, they just naturally want to be at a distance from people that way. Hmm, interesting. And the, uh, um, I mean, we've been, we've been talking about, I guess, um, what the effects of taking it is. Do you want, do you want to go kind of like a, down a geek out lane here and talk about how it actually works? Uh, for sure. So again, just quickly, when you're looking at uh, naltrexone, it's in a class of drugs that are used as opiate blockers. When you're looking at low-dose naltrexone, you're looking at, you know, one-fiftieth of the dose for uh, addiction interruption. So what's actually happening when you take this medication, uh, and uh, I wish I had a really great, like, visual analogy, but I'm going to kind of do my best with this. Um, when you're looking at cells, especially white blood cells, I think the easiest image to use would be imagining kind of like a, I don't know, a science fiction movie and you're in a spaceship and you come up and here's a planet. Okay. And the planet's covered in volcanoes. Okay. And those volcanoes are receptor sites that allow the planet to communicate with the rest of the universe because that's kind of how cells work, right? They, they live in their distinct little bubble, but... Uh, they need receptors on the inside and outside of their membranes to be able to, you know, eat, sleep, poop, do all the things that cells need to do. Right. So it's all about controlling those receptors. And there's so many things in medicine that can go right or wrong, depending on how fast, you know, the image would be spaceships dropping off, you know, food or drugs or, you know, good things into the volcanoes. Because as long as those receptors are doing what they're supposed to do, cellular metabolism would be considered kind of regular. But... 
uh, there's a lot of things that can change the way receptors work. And we could spend hours just talking about all of that. But when you're taking something like LDN or low-dose naltrexone, and again, naltrexone being an opiate blocker, so I'm got my hands holding, holding them up here, trying to make sense of what I'm trying to say here. But uh, when LDN comes into your system, once it's through your liver, it's going to basically bind to the opiate receptors on your white blood cells, which in a way shuts down the volcano, the receptor site for that kind of biochemical interaction with the rest of the body. So say, you know, you and I were chugging along, booting along the bloodstream and we're giving each other high fives because we're such, you know, badass white blood cells. And all of a sudden, neither of us can hear the interaction that we have with the opiate class of intermediate neurotransmitters and stuff or just opiate normal chemicals in your body. So you and, uh, you and I are looking at each other going, I'm feeling kind of hungry. I'm kind of moody. I'm kind of grumpy. I'm not really getting the confirmation nurturing hug from the opiate uh, side of the immune system. You know, and that's kind of what opiates are, right? They're kind of comforting, they're nurturing, they make us feel all fuzzy and warm. So here you and I, again, are booting around the bloodstream, white blood cells that so just can't get the message. So what we do is we start sending out biochemical messages to the back of the brain saying, hey man, uh, what's going on? We're not getting those regulating opiates to tell us how aggressive or how stable the immune system needs to be right now. Could you please send us, you know, an email or something and let us know what the hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So LDN, when it goes into your body, it's about a four to six hour window where it physically blocks the volcano. It blocks the opiate receptor, giving that little planet, that white blood cell, four to six hours to keep sending messages to the central nervous system saying, dude, where's my drug? <laughs> well, you know, where's my self-regulating uh, immune nurturing opiate information? So they keep sending these messages. So after about four or six hours, depending on a, a few factors, the LDN is going to basically break up um, and be cleared and metabolized out of your system. But now you have this volcano suddenly open. Then what? Is and it's super, super hungry. And the body's been sending opiates downstream for four hours going, I keep sending you this stuff. What are you talking about? It's, it's everywhere. And then that white blood cell is bathed in, you know, a, not a rush, but in a very consistent, about a 12 hour, uh, drip, if you will like an IV drip of an increased, uh, immune regulating opiate, uh, cascade. So now every one of your great kind of call it the general of the armies of your immune system, are all walking around happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm picturing, uh, I'm trying not to go with the, the drug addict version of this. Cause I'm not suggesting you want to just turn your white blood cells into drug addicts, but it's hard not to have a sense of humor when you think of your white blood cells being really grumpy for four hours and then getting kind of high and then being nice to you. <laughs> Well, I, 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 the, the, I was going to say the image that comes to mind is, um, you know, attending a concert and there's a million people outside the stadium and you still all have to go through the, the turnstile one at a time, you know, um, and you're in Canada doing that. So everyone's great. Right. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, we're going to line up, eh? <laughs> everyone's not lined up. They're all really chill about the whole thing. Everyone's <laughs> apologizing for bumping into each other. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that's really kind of cool. And so, and so, um, it. It, it, the the process of it shutting off the receptors in the first place and then having the receptors um, fed successfully um, at face value is kind of like the same thing. You're just not interested no matter what. Yeah, so on the level of biochemical addictive behaviors, you know, you might still have the memory of, gee, I would really like to shoot up some heroin, but I know it's not going to do anything for me. But when you're looking at the LDN thing for, say, an autoimmune disease, 
Um, and there's a lot to how this really works, but usually within the first three or four days, most people hit a shift in immune system behavior where the symptoms of aggressive inflammation and swelling just start to diminish. And it takes about four days for your immune system to really shift gears. Uh, just for a quick example, if you bump into somebody who's got a certain kind of virus, it's going to take you three or four days to build up of an immune system uh, adaptive response to isolate it and start actually kind of cornering and attacking that virus. So there's like a three, four day window where your immune system has to kind of like scratch its head and rearrange its uh, inner terrain as to how it's going to solve problems. So for people who are taking, you know, LDN, it's that first week, you're going to have some really weird ups and downs. You're going to probably have uh, the biggest thing people complain about for the first week anyway is usually just uh, a lot of weird dreams, some sleep interruption, and some kind of moodiness. That's not anything too horrible, I guess. Uh, well, considering you're trying to solve something, you know, like say, I don't know, psoriatic arthritis, which is eating you from the inside out, it's not that bad. <laughs> That's kind of a, a fair trade-off. Um, is there any other kind of um, distinctive uh, side effects that might actually prevent somebody from wanting to, to take this? Or, or, if I have it right, it's it's always going to be sleep, mood. Oh yeah, you have to be aware that it's going to screw around with any kind of uh, opiate medications and then some other drugs that you're, you know, maybe may on. So you really want to make sure you research that. Uh, I could, it would take too long to list the 72 drugs that, you know, you sure. shouldn't be taking with this stuff. But um, yeah, so sleep, mood, memory, um, medication, and oh yeah, <laughs> Um, sometimes men get erections that don't go away. Well, that could be embarrassing or yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> Life's about timing, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Honey, look what I got. Um, and, um, that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, all, all joking aside, I mean, having a, a long lasting erection might not necessarily be the... Well, the, the, the joke usually in the... I don't really get to, I don't really watch TV, but I have seen TV shows where a person with a priapismic erection, like a, it's stuck. Usually it's due to the Delta five class of drugs, like I guess Viagra and yeah. those things. So yeah, I mean, they basically are, I mean, I'm trying to find the politest way to describe them jabbing you in the penis with a large syringe to drain it of blood, but yeah trying to did i say that out loud yeah wow <laughs> I, I think i just heard our listeners wince <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah went across the planet some, some of them are actually hitting the little button that says rewind that <laughs> <laughs> other, other ones are looking for the button that says fast forward get me past this part yeah. um huh and uh all said i, I mean I, I don't know much about prescri prescriptive drugs but i would say that that's a fairly innocuous set of side effects to take this sort of thing? Yeah, compared to what you're actually going to get out of this, for the most part, um, it's it's worth, you know, these risks and, and many more. I mean, especially right now, there's a guy, I forgot his name, but he's, I think he's a medical doctor, but I think he lost his license a while ago for what they would call quackery because he keeps trying to solve cancer and he's doing really, really well with it and it's pissing everybody off. And one of his things is LDN. Hmm. Interesting. Have you ever used it? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So I first started using it about four years ago. Actually, when one of my patients, she has MS, uh, she was using it and was describing, you know, how it worked as far as she knew and, you know, what she was getting out of it. Uh, so I tracked it down and um, 
you do have to find a doctor who knows what it is or again you're going to have to give them a handout saying look man this is real science so like don't don't leave me in the out in the cold here um i heard these two guys on the internet talking about it doc <laughs> yeah they're canadian Come they're on. canadian <laughs> they gotta know stuff they're really smart they wouldn't lie good looking <laughs> anyway um <laughs> uh easy to make laugh anyway so uh what i do is i get it uh, as a powder and then i have it compounded with a probiotic powder um and we use a bit of beet powder because i do not want all the vitamin filler powders i do not want all the dyes because one thing when you're getting a compounded pharmaceutical made like uh, custom which is pretty cool this is my custom pharmaceuticals hey <laughs> um they they in order for them to know that the drug has been homogeneously mixed into a big vat of powder that used dyes and that powder is usually going to be something like microcrystalline cellulose or some other uh, thing that's uh, sort of a digestive mediator so that your body can absorb the drug over a i don't know a reasonable span of time Right. So yeah. I don't want that stuff. So I get them to throw in some acidophilus and some beet powder, and then I get my probiotics and some liver tonic beet powder first thing in the morning when I take my LDN. Uh, and I would encourage anyone, if you are going to get it made, you have basically two choices, have it compounded in a powder in a capsule in a pharmacy, or what other people do is they dilute, um, a 50 milligram capsule of, uh, naltrexone as a standard uh, addiction interruption dose. And then they dilute it and they figure out how many milligrams per milliliter based on how many they dissolve into a bottle and then they're good to go. And so you said it was, excuse me, you said it was five years ago that you started? Uh, four. Four years ago. And I usually do about three months on, a couple of months off, three months on, because for whatever reason I find after about three months, um, I just feel kind of weirdly jangly and um, it's kind of like coffee. Right, mm. but but not the fun smart coffee. It's more like kind of just a physical kind of like crowded feeling. So and that there is um, there is a metabolite that spills off of your cells during that four to six hour window when it's degrading that some people don't clear very well. And I guess I'm one of those people because after a while I just start noticing that I'm getting you know more moody or impatient. So uh, on average, when I have focused on taking, it's like a ten day on, one or two day off thing, and then after a few months, I take a little bit of a break. And I also like to take a bit of a break because I'm often experimenting with other things. So when my immune system is pretty mm, lassoed, to keep it Canadian, uh, to a certain process, then whatever else I'm experimenting with, it's really hard to see what you know the pluses and minuses are. Hmm. Uh, so like, yeah, like I said, I'll just take breaks. And then if I'm into some other experiment, I'll be more aware of how that experiment's going to go. And so can you talk about what your, uh, I guess what you're expecting when you started taking it, I guess what your experience has been like? I had no real expectation except a natural aversion to all the side effects people, you know, yeah, sure. type into the, the forums on this stuff. Cause the, the, the I mean, there's, there's the, the top, top five and then there's people who, you know, have other things to say. <laughs> the fear of the fear of getting stuck with the needle is bigger than the fear. Sorry, than the actual pain of actually getting it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I was pretty naturally pretty apprehensive because it's also a pretty heavy pharmaceutical and in, in, in the way that uh, it could be. But I would say within four or five days, I was like, wow. And I actually I first started taking it at night because that's sort of the standard thing to do. And I'm not a really great sleeper. 
So after four or five days of some of the most technicolor, like I'm not getting full color, crazy dreams, um, I did some more research and then I started taking it at like five o'clock in the morning with some other stuff. Hmm. And that curbed the sleep issue, but it was really an interesting thing to just be subjectively aware that between basically like six, seven in the morning and, you know, 11, 12 in, in the morning, uh, my body's filling up with opiates and my immune system's just chomping at the bit to get them inside the cells to self-regulate. So if I, because I guess I practice Qigong and meditation, I think of myself as a kind of an aware person. Um, so I, not that that makes me like more aware than everybody else. It just means that awareness is something I can. You're aware of being aware of things. Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm just more comfortable sitting very patiently listening to things and allowing my intuition to give me some information than mm -hmm. just, you know, if I stuck a thermostat in my mouth to see if my temperature went up or down or something. And I would say there, there is a pretty tangible rhythm throughout the day of having the opiates build up and then have the opiates clear and then have the metabolites clear and uh, all of that. So um, subjectively in terms of symptom relief, I would say most people are going to notice within, like I said, four or five days, a lot of the red, swelly, painful, itchy, you know, boo-boo kind of stuff will go away. And then within probably three weeks, uh, a lot of people also notice shifts in mindset, memory, mood. Um, and for some people, it actually improves sleep after a few weeks. Mm -hmm. But um, some people get depressed. Some people find that it relieves their depression. You know, so it's just one of those things you really do have to kind of dive in. And I would encourage anyone who gets, uh, you know, inspired to check this stuff out, try and stay connected to somebody who's a clinician who actually really gets how this works. Because say you're taking it and, you know, four or five days go in and that, you know, arthritic hand starts to feel better. High five, literally, because now your hand doesn't hurt. <laughs> and uh, a few weeks later, maybe um, a deeper cone, a kind of ennui or lack of joy in life starts to lift and you really start to feel a lot better. Of course, that's going to be an amazing thing, more high fives for everybody. But uh, it's also just as possible that, you know, after a week you feel much better and then two weeks more go by and then you start to feel kind of dark or anxious or... Uh, something else. And there are mechanisms that uh, would necessarily have to be happening in the body to have that aberrant or not normal response to this kind of a very, very predictable drug. I mean, it, it's got one job. It's not, you know, if anything doesn't go predictably, it's because of something we can isolate and, and potentially actually resolve. Mm. So if you're getting some very unexpected side effect from LDN, it may be because of secondary downstream uh, imbalances or pathologies or dysfunctions. It may be you're not clearing that metabolite well and there's things you can do to figure that out. So there's lots of ways to take that strategy of LDN and include it uh, in a much larger investigation of what else is going on. And I would say, you know, maybe in 10 years, I might spend a year uh, in 10 years, I might just spend a year in practice just focusing on managing people who are on LDN and all the weird side effects, because there's a part of me that intuitively has the sense that that will help us reverse engineer a whole bunch of tricky things that we haven't really had a chance to get into yet, because we haven't been able to modify the immune system that consistently in that many different people with the same diagnosis. Because, I mean, we might find if everyone with uh, again, I'll just stick with psoriatic arthritis. If everyone just takes that medication for that condition and you see, uh, I'll just pick eight 
eight different uh, really statistically likely responses, two of which are relatively positive, six of which actually require secondary treatment. But within maybe a couple of months, all eight of those people will be going, I can't believe that LDN not only solved my autoimmune inflammatory triggers, it pointed out to me where my immune system was also really stuck in an argument with some other part of my body, especially in terms of depression, anxiety, insomnia with the brain. So not only I think is LDN a great medication for these conditions, and there's a lot that can help, um, it might might actually be a really great um, guiding light to take a person through a deeper journey of assessment and, and understanding of their entire immune system. And that, that's all theoretical at this point, but it's something I've been watching patients predictably have predictably unpredictable reactions to this very predictable chemistry. <laughs> Who's on first? Um, yeah, pretty much. But but again, it's like I said, it's all pretty hypothetical, but I could see a really powerful bit of research uh, opportunity for some really just wacky stuff in medicine. Mm. It sounds very um, attractive. It's in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a sort of um, uh, like a catch-all list of people who would actually benefit from taking this sort of thing? Uh, I think the list would start with chronic inflammatory autoimmune. You know, and that's about 120 illnesses right now. So just real quickly, when you're looking at uh, autoimmune disease, um, and I've come across this a couple of times where I kind of have to hit myself in the forehead and go, oh, yeah, right. A lot of people, when you say autoimmune disease, they just think you mean AIDS. Right. Right, because that's where their head goes. (laughs) Um, But when you're looking at any of the uh, chronic complex autoimmune diseases that are usually going to become degenerative and eventually either destroy joints or um, digestive systems or spines or brains and things like that, which obviously should be terrifying to think about. Um, the primary burden of the tissue damage is what are called a, what are called cytokine storms. So if you have too much of the triggers in your life, if that's stress, if it's uh, EMF, it's a gluten, if it's hairspray, if it's that same old argument with your dog or whatever, <laughs> stop arguing with your dog. Um, there's an accumulation of triggers and then we hit a certain threshold where the body just basically kind of almost like vomits. Uh, this entire spectrum of cytokines that produce this massive amount of inflammation and, and damage to the body. And if you keep having enough of those, it's going to build kind of like ruts in the road of your, your physiology. You know, like with, if water runs downstream down your driveway and you don't have a asphalt driveway, you're going to see some, you know, creeks building up in your driveway. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens inside human physiology is, you know, we, we just build up certain pathways and they're like ruts. And every time we have a cytokine storm, our body is that much more predisposed for the next one, right? And so that's a big, huge part of autoimmune disease and flare-ups because that's always the big deal. It's like, I was good for five years and I had a flare-up and then I had to go on prednisone and then, you know, I spent months trying to figure that out and then tick, 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 when's the next flare-up? Well, it depends on those pathways and kind of the erosion of the the water analogy, right? So when you're using LDN in that way, um, by blocking the opiate receptors and then by releasing all that uh, immune regulation, you're basically stopping the ability to organize enough momentum to produce a cytokine storm in any given day, unless you're, I don't know, getting hit by a car or something. Uh, So when you look at that same process and you look at how cancer works, I mean, cancer is driven by inflammation, by epigenetic dysfunction and all kinds of other stuff. Um... 
but your body's ability to actually effectively win against cancer is determined by proliferation and direction of uh, a certain class of killer cells, right? So when these T cells get in there and their job is to literally kind of digest the, the tissue uh, of cancer, um, LDN has the same ability to kind of suppress and then uh, secrete a massive and consistent 12-hour army of these T killer cells that are going to go in there. And if everything else is working properly with uh, other therapeutic protocols, you now have the best chance to not only cease the proliferation or potential uh, malignancy or met metastasis of cancer, you're effectively hiring Pac-Man to go in there and just eat it. Hmm. Uh, sorry, if that seemed like a let down from all the techie stuff. But, <laughs> mm. um, but what a great analogy of, um, I guess, maybe even how simple the whole thing actually works, right? God, there's so so much things in medicine when you get past the, the Latin and the, the hijinks, you're like, oh yeah, everything's kind of like a meadow. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a Pac-Man shirt. I'm going to wear that next time. There you go. Um, so, I mean, the, the I guess what I was looking for was like the short and sweet list of who should actually take this sort of thing, but it sounds I'll, like... I'll, I'll walk through the list if you want. Well, yeah, I mean, just a... To so paint a more clear picture. Autoimmune disease, I'll, I'm not going to go off 120, but arthritis, asthma, alopecia. Um, I tried to do it alphabetically, but then my mind just is, ran is, to is, Zeta, it, got lost. But. Is, is, isn't there some sort of song that you guys learned in school? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that would just be disheartening as hell to like i'm gonna sing the 120 autoimmune disease song <laughs> well kind of like the abc song right? i think we should have like a really bad dirge fiddle in the background <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyone with chronic pain uh the arthritis um um fibromyalgia those kind of things that uh the inflammatory triggers come with a message of pain. So by reducing the inflammatory trigger molecules, you're reducing the pain messaging molecules as well. We don't often think about the fact that pain isn't just some random thing. It's it's a chemical yell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. <laughs> uh, again, when it comes to the longer term thing with neurological health around uh, depression, insomnia, some types of autism, uh, certain aspects of ADHD, a huge component of Alzheimer's. And I think actually if LDN's got any, I don't know, chance to become like the darling of something, I think in the next 20 years we should give it a swing for Alzheimer's because it's going to have a profound benefit on people trying to prevent that. Um, oh yeah, one thing that turned out to be an, another really unexpected benefit uh, of this, although if you sit back and think about it, it makes perfect sense, is a lot of people get pregnant suddenly. My mind just uh, is stuck on those... The men getting pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> no, all, all, all of those um, erection side effects. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. So there's that. But no, it's more about women's fertility and autoimmune dysfunction. But yeah, well, we can go with... Um, so it actually helps um, in what way? So here, here's a really weird story, and it may seem like a bit of an aside, but I think it'll make the point. So I started my practice uh, really focusing in on autoimmune disease about 20 years ago. I kind of just made that decision. Seems to be my thing, and it's working. So I'll just you know put that out there because it's not that I don't want to treat sciatica and tennis elbow. It's sure it, it just seems to be the thing to do. And uh, within about three, four years, I started getting a lot of people referred to me who had infertility problems because so many of my patients were getting pregnant. And this was before I'd even heard of LDN. 
Um, and it just turns out when you're treating people for autoimmune dysfunction, one of the biggest reasons why people are infertile is their immune system attacks the fetus because it has foreign DNA. I see. Because your immune system is so upregulated in the autoimmune thing. It's, it's sort of like a caveman with a bat. It's just swinging at everything. And, you know, once you turn down that frontline aggressiveness of the immune system, especially for women, the hostile cervix syndrome goes down, the frontline mucous membrane immune system kind of war goes down, and then the fetus can implant itself into the uterus, build a proper placental uh, engine, and, you know, off, off we go. Hmm. And, uh, and this isn't about me, but in, I guess, 16 years of actually professionally applying fertility medicine in my practice, I think one person of however number of uh, couples that have come through hasn't gotten pregnant. Wow. Yeah. And would you, sorry, are you saying that's specifically because of uh, prescribing LDN to actually? Uh, no, no, I'm just saying when you turn off the autoimmune component of right. what infertility is uh, actually about in some people, that's why people get pregnant. So that was sort of the aside story is, you know, LDN does this in a very specific biochemical way. I mean, all the stuff I've been doing without LDN up until I, you know, started telling people about it was working in, in the same way, just using different uh, protocols. Hmm. Um, is there anybody who shouldn't take it? Uh, people who are addicted to opiates until you're ready to go through the hell of not like running your entire physiology that way. Some people with severe pain medication, um, who require opiate medicine interference for their pain. If they went on LDN, it's quite possible that the pain would kill them because at a certain level of severe pain, the shock of the pain will, you know, just, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't know the exact mechanism for that. I don't think I'd ever really want to look it up because it's pretty morbid, but there are people that just go into such severe trauma from pain that they just die. Yeah, wow. And uh, seeing as this is uh, Fusion Health Radio, we're not just talking about taking a prescriptive drug here. Um, is there any kind of uh, protocol you would say in terms of how they should take it? Is there supplements to have that sort of thing? Uh, well, what I would do myself, and I think this is something we've never actually done, um, and I don't think we need to do it all right now, but uh, one thing I find interesting when I hear a lot of other clinicians who do podcasts is sometimes they, they, cause they often have health concerns of their own is they actually walk through their entire protocols and what they do. And I was like, wow, I wonder what that would look like if I tried to lay mine out that way. Hmm. Uh, but when I am doing LDN, which is usually in the fall, um, just fits in better than, uh, sometimes I'll do it spring too, if I'm in a hurry to cleanse or whatever, but um, I would take the LDN, usually one milligram. I've never felt like I needed more than that. Um, I take it with a vitamin D3, uh, vitamin K2, uh, something called CBD or cannabidiol from cannabis, which now we can access lawfully, almost legally. <laughs> um, certain adaptogen herbs, I guess it just depends on what else I'm doing, but those would be all things I would take first thing in the morning would be the... Uh, the immune regulatory stuff like vitamin D and K and CBD, and then the LDN as well. Uh, I would typically take those other supplements two more times a day, because I think I've probably mentioned this 50 times on the show, but if you're going to take immune regulatory supplements uh, like CBD or vitamin D, the it's really important to take them three times a day or else you're missing a huge opportunity and your body will misread what you're doing. Hmm. LDN you can only take once a day. And, and so to be clear... Um... 
of the supplements that you're suggesting there are ones that you're taking specifically because you're taking LDN? Uh, no, they're specifically to modulate uh, autoimmune uh, overactivity. Right. And that's kind of on par with whatever LDN is doing for you anyways, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would usually use those supplements most of the year. It's just uh, fall is just the, the harder season for me for whatever reason. So that's when I would bank up my uh, immune system stabilizing efforts with, uh, with something like LDN. And uh, since we've been shooting video, I'd say part of the protocol is actually sitting in front of these lights, <laughs> these, <laughs> these bright daylights, getting our vitamin D that way. Um, is there, uh, so that's supplements you can take with it, mm -hmm. um, but what about um, uh, other drugs and things that people are taking, uh, prescriptive drugs, or there other ones that um, um, would be like a bad combination? Well, like, like I had mentioned, there's the whole class of... Um, opiate drugs. There's a lot of other painkillers. Uh, there's, I think it would be fairly irresponsible to be careful with using LDN if you're on a few psychotropic drugs already, like, you know, antidepressants or any psychotic meds or even sleeping pills, just so that I think it would be a good idea for anyone who's on, especially mind altering chemistry to minimize your mind altering chemistry, make sure your cl clinician of choice, whoever is prescribing you this stuff, knows what you're doing and can help you interpret whatever happens next, hmm. right? Because you're getting into more unpredictable possibilities there. And I think not to be all anal, but I think that's half of what medicine is, is if we can't predict it, we, we're just making it up. Right. So the more we can isolate and, and kind of narrow down the bandwidth of interference in a person, especially psychiatrically. And then if we were to add something like LDN, at least we would have a more responsible abil ability to appreciate whatever kind of went sideways if it did. Right. But if you went on a line and I actually was going to pull this up and have it just in case we wanted to get into it, but it, there is over like 70 drugs that are on the no-no list. So if you're thinking about going on LDN and you want to be super, super certain and you are in a lot of pharmaceuticals, just type in low-dose naltrexone, you know, contraindications, and you'll get that uh, PDF with those drugs on it. And a lot of them are like from all over the world. So there's some of them that uh, when I first got into that list, I was just like, what is that? What is that? Oh, that's the name they use in Europe. Oh, this is the Sutter thing. And right, right. Yeah, the different... Uh Marketing channels use different names, I suppose. Yeah, and also I just don't want to sit here and, you know, use up people's time blathering off a bunch of really hard-to-pronounce chemical names because it doesn't stick to anything for people. Got it. Makes sense. Um, was there anything that we missed into, that you wanted to cover? Uh, obviously, if you're going to be taking something like a pharmaceutical uh, medication to resolve chronic health problems, there's... Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to need to be doing everything else anyone else would be needing to do. And I think, again, psychologically, maybe this is just my prejudice, and I'm willing to accept that if that's true. But a lot of us, when we get close to taking pharmaceuticals, we get close to being passive-aggressive. How do you mean? Um, so I'm trying to find a way to get into this without sounding too judgy or whatever. But so I think the only way I could really like really, and this is a really important thing, so I don't want to just be flippant about this. Um, so imagine just for fun, you and I have a time machine and 
we're neurotic because we decide to use our time machine and go back and get doctor's appointments every five years from 1950 until now. Okay. So we go back to 1950 and sign up for a doctor's appointment and they come in with a, probably a glass of scotch with some ice in it and a cigarette in their hand going, hi. <laughs> and a white lab coat. And a white lab coat <laughs> with a lot of Brill cream in their hair or something. I should probably not say that right now because I have cream in my hair, but <laughs> anyway, uh, and they probably sit down with you for 20 minutes and tell you a story about their dog and... You know, maybe they're going to drive out to your house and check out your kids because, you know, it was around 1950 when medicine was still family doctors doing house calls. Sure. And, you know, hospitals existed, but I don't know. It was just not nearly as hugely centralized in the way that it is now. So a lot of people, you know, from 1950s to 1960s, 70s, 80s, up until now, were just getting used to a shorter doctor's appointment a more naturally brusque interaction with respect to, come on, man, pick your drug or your surgery. We got stuff to do, hmm. right? You know, and now we have in Canada right now, it's like you're allowed to bring up one or two, you know, and they look at you a little hairy eyeballed with two, like, really? You have more than one complaint? Oh. And they're supposed to diagnose and treat competently given this passive aggressive symptom management. And that's clinically what I mean by passive aggressive is, what kind of healthcare is it when you just keep getting pushed back into the waiting room to come up with another complaint that's probably going to be a side effect from the thing you're taking for that other complaint? And I mean, I'm being very, I don't know, I don't feel aggressive, but I'm just definitely trying to make a very poignant point. In order for a passive aggressive relationship to work, both the husband and the wife or the doctor and the patient have to play along. Right. So the doctor's like, Hey man, got seven minutes, one complaint, drug or surgery, go. <laughs> You're like, okay. So, <laughs> uh, but whereas patients going, Oh, okay. So now I, I walk into the doctor's office with my knees bent and my head cowed. And I put out my hand like a primate, you know, holding my limp wrist out to the bigger primate, hoping it doesn't bite me with like a diagnosis of cancer or something. Cause I'm the passive monkey, right? I walk in and I get my prescription or my, you know, whatever from this guy in the lab coat and I walk home going, Oh, that was a at least minimally abusive experience. Mm. Could be worse. Yep. Right. So now we've got into this model of of uh, care and access and and sort of self responsibility. That's sit and wait. I mean, that's what we're trained to do since we go to school: sit and watch, sit and learn, sit and listen, sit and shut up, sit and wait. Mm. And and I'm not suggesting we bash down our entire civilization here. I'm just saying. I think there are certain relationships that should not allowed to be dysfunctional. Say like cops, they, there should be rules when they, what they can and can't do or say when they pull you over. I, I'd be happier. I, I think those rules exist, aren't they? Okay. <clears throat> that might be another podcast. <laughs> I think that's, that only happens in Sweden though. <laughs> but again, the same thing would, would be a component of a conscious and functional relationship with any clinician, which is I've hired you as a consultant. I'm going to tell you what it is that's wrong and you're going to sit there and listen to me as my goddamn hired consultant. And when I'm done telling you what's wrong, I will sit here and listen to your consultation. I don't know anyone who goes up to hire a consultant and says, hi, I'd like to uh, tell you one of my concerns and then passively wait and see what you decide to do with it given it's Friday and you're probably tired. So thanks. Right. And again, I'm trying to not just blame doctors in hospitals or not even blaming patients. I'm just saying our whole culture has got into this very weird, impatient, get me back to work. Nobody has time or nobody wants to spend the time or no one's willing to change the paradigm 
to create the time for people to really get authentic healthcare. So that's sort of my concern with something like LDN is it's a very impatient and familiar thing to do. Take my pharmaceutical, it's going to do magic opiate things to volcanoes in my blood supply or something. I'm not sure what happens, but yay. And the big point is the opposite of passive aggressive is how's your meditation practice going? How is that autoimmune diet going? How, how is your sleep hygiene going? Really enjoying that liter of water in the first two hours of the day. Me too. It's really going well for me. Oh yeah, I'm taking supplements three or four times a day. Oh yeah, I'm constantly aware of these triggers and I will never do this one thing or this other thing again because the aftermath is just untenable in any conscious life. Hmm. You know. So, I mean, at some point we have to pull our head out of our proverbial culture's butt and say, this is all on automatic now and I didn't ask or vote for or would never have actually hoped for it to turn out the way it is right now. And I think we're at a bit of a tipping point with everything that's going on March, 2018 in, in the Western world. It's, you know, it's a time of change. And I think not to get all, you know, off the fusion health side of things, it's the same mode of inquiry and, and uh, possibility that's going to change healthcare. If we're going to, whatever we're going to do with economies and politics, that's not my job. But I think it's the same cultural mindset that's going to change healthcare. Because mm. if we decide, oh yeah, we pay the government to be our administrators. How did they end up in charge? They're like secretaries with bad hair. Hmm. Well, I guess secretaries always have bad hair. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a bad joke. Yeah. Uh, but wow. I mean, just, just, the, just the idea that um, you're on a boat there, I think is speaks to the bigger picture of whatever it is we're doing um, with the podcast, whatever it is you do with the different courses that you teach. You know, you're trying to uh, affect the course of uh, health history. I was going to say medical history, but, you know, uh, inspiring people to uh, be a little bit less uh, passive and more kind of informed and um, self-directed, right? Yeah, that's absolutely my, my spiel if I had one, which is, How's your meditation practice? Oh yeah, how's your Qigong practice? Oh yeah, how's that diet going? Oh yeah, have you become a herbalist yet? Oh, then what else are you doing all day, every day to understand and explore and experiment on, you know, the almost random weirdness of modern healthcare? Yeah. Because it's got to change. I mean, we, we now have this amazing integrative model where you can have everything from aromatherapy all the way up to, you know, robotic surgeries and stuff. So let's take a step back and give ourselves all a bunch of high fives for growing up enough to be inclusive and then slow down enough for us to be inclusive with our patients, not just with our protocols and our styles of care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I mean, uh, this isn't about me, but I, I think it just feels like it needs to be said. And again, this isn't about me, but the number of times I sit in a room with people where they start crying because no one's actually listened to them for more than five minutes and no one's actually ever explained to them why this is going on. Like, oh yeah, well you had this thing happen at two and this other thing at eight and then this thing in puberty and that kind of stuff can only happen in that order and then end up with where you're at today because of this. And you know, it maybe takes half an hour of, you know, our mutual lives to come up with that kind of an understanding. But for a lot of people it's... Like they're, they're literally in tears going, I had no idea this was allowed. Hmm. Like you can sit down and just explain yourself and pick someone's brain and walk out going, oh, I, now I know. Hmm. And there's, I'm not the only person doing this. There's a lot of people working this way. It's just, I'm just, I'm just saying to anyone who's listening to this, who feels, I don't know, 
maybe a little off balanced by the conversation is, yeah, it's really ungrounding, isn't it? It's really ungrounding to realize that you're walking around your life, you know, on a tightrope of impatience and getting back to work on sketchy healthcare. You know, I think a lot of us just want to like crash the bus, get off the bus, build a better bus. Mm -hmm. And LDN really speaks to that because here we are, you know, like little pirates, you know, sneaking our way into the pharmaceutical war chest to snag a medication that actually does good, you know, biochemically, um, and then use it to help people reframe their entire relationship with their health because it's, it's low dose. It's meant to go with a protocol around diet and lifestyle and supplements and meditation and all this other stuff. It's not meant to be a cure-all. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a um, uh, magic bullet. It, it's, it certainly, you know, it speaks to the, the bigger picture of, again, um, the ideas that, uh, that we talk about around health uh, protocols and uh, ways of being and ways of living and, and all that sort of thing, right? It's not just, oh, I'm going to take this green pill and I'm going to be perfect. I mean, if I looked at this in just in the sense of like a, an algorithm or a context, I mean, this, this is kind of maybe a tipping point. Because uh, if, if we start taking uh, isolates of pharmaceutical drugs, isolates of, say, CBD, isolates of uh, other terpenes or alkaloids from plants and start using them at minimal doses because we start to recognize nudging people is much healthier than, uh, you know, hitting them with a sledgehammer. I mean, we, we could spend the next century, you know, with a very subtle modality of, of uh, chemical interference with healthcare and maybe get way, way more farther ahead than we have using a heavier hit or a, like a sledgehammer. So who knows? I'm, I'm just like really excited about the paradigm shift of, you know, people in the integrative world coming back to pharmaceutical prescribing doctors saying, hi, uh, just wonder if you guys would want to play along with using your chemistry in another way. And, and most of them, once they, they learn about it, they're like, absolutely, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So tipping point. You know, medicine's going to change. Yeah. Uh, this is the part where we put in the sound effects of the audience cheering. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, that's a pretty profound um, idea of what uh, LDN um, inspires. And how it actually works is pretty freaking awesome as well. Yeah, I mean, we could do another show just on the geek out chemistry of it all, but I think that would just probably like... 20 people out there who'd be like, oh yeah, I can use that. Yeah, right. Well, you can leave people your phone number. How's that? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> your email address? <laughs> um, great. I, I think that might be a good place to sort of to, to wrap it up there. Certainly LDN is something worth investigating, I would say, uh, for, uh, for our listeners. Oh, wait. We didn't do one thing. What's that? Obesity. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So real, real quick, um, not only does LDN do everything we've already talked about, but it changes sensitivity for insulin receptor sites. So around uh, the momentum of your body's decision-making to take calories and force them into triglycerides, forcing the triglycerides into fat cells uh, starts to slow down. And cravings and other things like that for the opiate-driven side of food addiction also changes. So uh, just throwing that out there that because part of the title of the show was LDN, obesity, aging, and autoimmunity. And I think we covered aging and autoimmunity with all the other stuff. But just wanted to make sure the obesity thing was in there. Okay, so just to be clear, um, you're saying LDN uh, works in terms of how people um, crave food. 
and can help uh, them deal with things in that way? Uh, craving is probably on the bottom of the list, but the top of the list is changing the receptor site sensitivity to insulin because of the changing amount of inflammation in the body. Wow. So yeah, just, I mean, maybe I, we probably should have started the whole show with this, but back in the eighties, there was this Dr. B something, uh, and he was treating AIDS patients and he was giving some of them LDN because a lot of them were recovering from opiate addiction, which is how they got AIDS from using needles. And, uh, he started seeing these people with AIDS get better or at least stop getting as worse as fast. And he's the guy who started researching LDN as a, a way of hacking the body around autoimmune disease. But other people in other clinical environments using LDN since then have also noticed, you know, given the randomness of how um, research can go, that a lot of people who are obese getting treated for secondary conditions uh, using LDN for the autoimmune component started losing weight a lot faster. So again, there's just a lot, a lot of the research from this is just very, uh, what you call empirical or sort of accidental. Mm-hmm. And it certainly says to me that uh, this bears a little bit more investigation by people who are keen to uh, go down that road. Yeah, I started this off tongue-in-cheek by saying, we should just put this in the water supply. (laughs) Who who doesn't want a smarter immune system? (laughs) Yeah, well, I'd sign up for that. I think I got a cup here. (laughs) I'm going to pour some of that. Um, Awesome. Interesting stuff today, Michael. Um, The the ideas that we've shared today, uh, dear listener and viewer, if you're uh, keen to learn more, um, certainly uh, we can add some more ideas perhaps in the show notes. Yep. Uh, maybe some links, uh, stuff that, as Michael's nodding his head and looking. Well, I'm just aware that we could, I could find the link for all the, the drug interaction lists and if there's anything else. Yeah, sure. Uh, whatever it is that you think uh, might be uh, useful to the listener might be a good idea. Uh, this is also the part of the podcast where we say thanks for listening. Um We are supported by our listeners with uh, questions and enthusiasm and shares and likes and uh, hopefully a little bit of money. We do have a Patreon account that we set up uh, recently. Uh, Go to patreon.com slash fusionhealthradio and you can help us uh, pay for this really cool setup that we have here and improve it. (laughs) Oh, did we take a picture? We did. Oh, right. Maybe we should get a picture on the show notes of our madcap adventure. (laughs) For those of you on the, um, let's see if we can do this. Anyways, uh, it's pretty um, interesting, to say the least, setup that we have here. <laughs> There's me standing in the corner. <laughs> yeah, Michael's standing. I'm sitting behind a couple of microphones and all that sort of stuff. That said, uh, please do consider uh, supporting us if you uh, find the information that you hear through our podcast uh, useful and interesting and helpful to you. Uh, we'd love to be able to do more, bigger, better things with this. And a little bit of cash will help us to improve our equipment, improve our setup, improve our reach. Um, basically make the podcast a lot healthier. (laughs) Just waiting for that, eh? Uh, This has been Fusion Health Radio, episode 46, LDN, obesity, aging, and autoimmunity. I'm Anthony Santa, and that guy... I'm Dr. Michael Smith, just getting my buttons figured out. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you next time, folks. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.